This is Mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. My hallmark is bravery. Everything I do is brave. And I think my team feels that and everything they do is brave. And yeah, there's times where we've done things where I'm like, this is really pushing the envelope, especially for financial services, or this may be pushing people out of their comfort zone. But I don't take irresponsible risks. I just take brave bets and it's worked. How can one marketing leader make an impact on a category as well established as the banking world? Our guest today suggests it takes a little bit of bravery. Andrea Brimmer is the Chief Marketing and PR Officer at Ally Financial. And during her 15 years at the Digital Financial Services Company, her lead from the front mentality has resulted in a number of big wins for the brand, including a customer-centric rebrand during the peak of a global financial crisis. It's fascinating to learn how her team's innovative strategies are continuing to reshape the banking landscape and how they're using the power of marketing to promote diversity and financial literacy. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. I am honored that you're on our show. I mean, you, your career as a marketing leader is one that sticks out. I mean, we've, we've had some incredible marketing leaders on our show and really all of them in their own right are really interesting and have a lot of perspective. You also have a ton of perspective being at the same place with Ally Financial for, I think it's coming up on 15 years, right? Yeah. As 15 years here and going on eight as, uh, as actually the CMO, which is incredible. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So I want to talk about that too, because something you've been able to do is, you know, solidify your seat on the ELT as the CMO. I want to know how you've been able to do that and talk about just your path, your career. Um, I'd love to hear also some things around, you know, favorite lessons, favorite failures, things you've really learned along the way. Cause to me, to be a modern day CMO in 2022, is such an interesting experience compared to those CMOs in the past. And the, you know this right brain, left brain dance and the way you cultivate leadership, the way you think about insights and data at scale, these things are just make it really interesting to be a CMO. So I want to talk about all that too. Before we get there though, like what, let's dive into like something that you're really like interested in right now. Like what's, what's kind of got you thinking about, yeah, marketing or strategy or approach or like, What's taking up your time right now? Let's jump into that. And then we'll circle back to the beginning. You know, it's interesting. When I um, became CMO, like I said, almost eight years ago, one of the first things I became 
fascinated with was gamification of learning and the idea that we were trying to get people to engage in financial literacy. And it wasn't a very sexy prospect, right? You, you sit down, especially with somebody younger and say, let's talk about financial literacy. And they're like, eh, you know, peace out. And so we gamified that seven years ago. And, and we've grown our thinking around gamification in that period of time. And we've done a number of things inclusive of building an island on Animal Crossing and creating a world in Minecraft. And I joke now that we were in the metaverse before anybody was even really calling it the metaverse. But I spent about three hours last week at our agency, Anomaly, in New York. And I've got a new head of tech there, a brilliant guy named Chris Neff. And we spent three hours just talking about metaverse and gamification and Web 2.5 and Web 3.0 and all of the, you know, decentralized land and all of the aspects of where this new wild, wild world is going. And I just walked out of there with my brain going a thousand miles a minute. And there's so many layers to it, so many aspects of it. That's what I'm just deep on right now is getting as smart as I possibly can be, but also making sure we take the time to do it the right way and not just jump in and do things for the sake of jumping in. I think we have an authenticity given we've been on this gaming strategy for so long. And I'm trying to really balance the urge to jump with the practicality of showing up in an authentic way. Yeah. On, on that, that's very interesting because in some ways there's got to be this timing aspect of like you want to seat at the table, metaverse, web three, you want to be in the conversation. And then what point do you you know, create something for the world? When do you pull that, that string and say, okay, now we're entering into this space. Here's our beta or our intro version of this. And how do you time that as, a, as Ally Financial? Yeah, we have this debate all the time. Do we need to be leading edge or do we need to be cutting edge? You know, as a, as a digitally native brand, there's this expectation of being on, at least on the leading edge all the time, right? And so, you know, sometimes we want to leapfrog the market and be cutting edge. But I believe very deeply, and I think this has been a key to our success, is that any audience is always seeking authenticity and value exchange. And if we can't show up and provide a value exchange, number one, and number two, we can't show up with authenticity and credibility, we're not going to just do something for the sake of doing something. And so in this space, I think we already have the authenticity piece because we've been doing gaming for so long and we've been doing it in ways, you know, we're the official financial services partner of Twitch. We've had a longstanding relationship with Twitch. I've talked about seven years of using gaming. We've failed fast in gaming. We've done some amazing things. We've done some stupid things, but we've, we've learned along the way. I've hired a gaming team. I actually have a dedicated team within marketing who does nothing but think about this stuff all day long. And so I think we've got the authenticity piece. Now what I think we're really focused on is what's the value? What's the value of us showing up for people and how are we going to provide value? And until we have that right, we're not going to do things just for the sake of doing things. Wow. This idea of gamification in the space, in the financial space, was that already kind of being kicked around at Ally before you joined? Or is that part of you coming on you know, almost 15 years ago. Was that the conversation in the early, early days? Where did this idea of 
let's look through the lens of gamification come from? No, it definitely wasn't being talked about until um, till I kind of sat in the seat. And, and candidly, the idea came from oftentimes where I get a lot of my ideas, which is think like a human and just watch people, right? And just watching my kids, we've got four kids and realizing that everything for them is gamified. The way that they were learning in school, the way that they were taking training for their jobs, kind of their their number one thing at the time, especially when they were little, to take up their free time was gaming. In fact, I wish the idea of Twitch was like sitting right underneath my nose for all these years and I never thought of it. And now I look at how they've monetized Twitch and I'm like, damn it, I had, you know, I had Twitch in my house every single weekend with a hundred kids sitting around the theater in the basement watching each other play games. And so when I came in, to be honest with you, Jeremy, there was a lot of people that were like, what? This is dumb. Why are we doing this? You're wasting resources. Why are we making games and why are we building islands in games and all that kind of stuff? And I don't understand the value of this. And then all of a sudden, people started to see the engagement and people started to see the value in it. And people started to see the conversions that were coming out of that space. And and then the metaverse came and, you know, now the the tune is very different, which is, oh, my God, thank God that you pushed us into this seven years ago. Um, so it's definitely been a journey. There were a lot of snickers in the hallway. But the thing that I love about Ally is that despite the laughter in the hallway, I've got a boss that's like, I trust you. If you think this is a good thing for us to go do, let's go do it. If it doesn't work, let's be honest about the fact that it didn't work and go away from it. But if it works, you know, good for you and let's keep it rolling. I want to rewind a little bit just to your early days in marketing, because I'm curious about you worked at Campbell Ewald for almost 20 years. So that tells me is like that where you kind of learn marketing, start to think like a marketer, because I think there's something interesting about the way that they think. I went to their website earlier and it's like they're very much about the voice of the human and the voice of like, what is the human today thinking about? What do they want? And I could see how having a schooling there for almost 20 years was really, really powerful for you considering where you landed. But is that accurate? Or where did you kind of first start learning the marketing education, the marketing chops? You know, I mean, I think, look, 20 years on an agency side was invaluable in that um, it really teaches you the business from the ground up. And you learn so many aspects about just the, the table stakes of production and creative and engagement and those kinds of things. And when I was at Campbell Ewald, um, the chief creative officer was a guy by the name of Bill Ludwig. And and Bill became not only a good friend, but a great mentor to me. And I, I still say to this day, I thought he was one of the most brilliant creative people that I ever worked with. He was really the one, I, I think, that during my tenure at Campbell Ewald was really super instructive in terms of getting me to to push for greatness and to really realize that good is the enemy of great. And I think that to me was um, a big turning point in my career when I realized not to just settle for good and to always push for great. And, and really when I got the opportunity to come over to what was GMAC at the time, and we could talk about that because my, my first assignment here was rebrand the company, which ultimately became Ally. I think it was when I came to Ally, to be honest with you, which is when I really realized the notion of think like a human, because we were launching in the midst of the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. And everybody was saying to us, the world doesn't need another bank. And we were like, you're right, the world doesn't need another bank, but it needs a better bank. 
And when you really stepped back and said, what are the pain points that exist in financial services? And how can we solve for those pain points from a human-centric place, which is exactly what we did. We sat in a room, like it's one of those moments in business that you'll never forget. There were 10 of us or, you know, or so. We sat in a room and said, what's everything you hate about banking? And we plotted it out on a wall and we drew a circle around what we thought had the best value and what we could actually execute. And that became our value proposition. And I think it was that moment when I really realized the value of just thinking like a human in every single thing that we did. Mm. So you played soccer at Michigan State for four years, right? Did you already know you were a leader in college? Did you feel like you were a leader in college? I began to realize I was a leader as early as, as high school. I played soccer my whole life. I, when I was in high school, I played at a, at a powerhouse in Michigan, Livonia Stevenson. And uh, I made the varsity team as a sophomore. Back then, high school was sophomore, junior, senior, freshman didn't go to high school. So I made the varsity team as a sophomore. I was the first sophomore to ever make the team. And I started my first year. My junior year, they made me captain. And there were a lot of seniors on the team. I think that was when I really realized that for whatever reason, people gravitated towards me. I had this followership ability. And, and then as I went to college, again, very similar, you know, captained the team at a very, you know, kind of young age, especially when there were upperclassmen on the team and it was a four-year starter. In fact, played every minute of every game for four years. And, you know, I think it taught me so much about myself. And I often say in so many ways, I think playing a sport was the best thing that I've ever done for my career. And I think that's where I learned a lot of what I'm made of, a lot about my grit, a lot about a who I wanted to be, the kind of person that I wanted to be, and definitely a ton of leadership skills that I carry with me even today. When did you start to have a kind of an idea or just your eyes set on, on marketing leadership? And like, because there's a transition from marketer to marketing leader, there's a big shift there. And then there's certainly a big shift going from marketing leader to CMO of a, a big org with a big impact. Did you have your sights set on CMO in the early days of kind of working at Campbell Ewald or working at, at Ally? Or when did that become real? I never thought I'd leave the agency business. You know, I was being groomed when I was at Campbell Ewald. I was the account director on Chevrolet, which was the biggest account. I was in the executive council there. You know, I think the path was was kind of all the way up. And, you know, I had a, a pivotal moment at, at Campbell Ewald that, um, that kind of changed the course of my career forever that really led me over to, to Ally. And when I got to Ally, you know, I, I never sat and thought about can I be the CMO? It just wasn't in my sights. I've always been a big believer in you just put your head down and you come to work every day and you do your best work and you have a voice and you don't be afraid to use that voice and let the work speak for itself. Good things will happen. And that's really what happened for me here. And honestly, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be the CMO at a Fortune 250 company, you know, and I still kind of pinch myself today. And I remember I won a Distinguished Alumni Award at Michigan State. And my dad said, do they know your maiden name? Did they check your record? <laughs> <laughs> and well, you know, there was a kernel of truth to that. So I, I don't know. I've never been one of those people that just set out and said, I've got this goal and I'm going to go reach it. I just do. Okay. And the rest kind of takes care of itself. You know, without having worked with you for the past almost 15 years at Ally, I know that that business has gone through stages, stages of growth 
adding more operational complexity. I mean, the business has grown, you know, Warren Buffett is really bullish on Ally and I kind of follow what he says too. I'm like, if he's bullish, I like to follow the leader. But as you know, you've also been, you know, someone who has had to grow and evolve and change over the past almost 20 years with the brand. As business evolves to certain stages, there becomes times where there's certain pressure and noise where it's like, okay, I've done, I've done the most I can do. I'm shifting to something new. You found a way to say, no, I'm going to plant myself even deeper as this business scales and grows. And I'm curious about just your approach there. Was it just simply I put my head down and I pick it up and it's almost 20 years later? Or were there these inflection points along the way in the past 15 years where, you, where there was a lot of pressure and a lot of noise and where maybe it wasn't as sure that you were going to be there the next year, especially in marketing leadership? As you know, the role doesn't always last that long for folks. Right. You know, look, Ally is personal to me. I helped create the brand. So this has never been just a job for me. This has been a personal mission. I want to see this company succeed and have longevity and last and and grow. And and look, we're the original fintech. There's no doubt about it. We kind of carry that scrappy underdog mentality with us even today and that challenger brand notion. And I love that. That's exciting to me. And I think my passion for the brand and my passion for the company and my competitive spirit is valued by my peers, by our board. I think we're, we're lucky because we've got a great board that believes in the leadership and the management team very, very deeply. And I've never felt like my job has been in jeopardy. I think there have been points in time where things have been hard for all of us. That's just not a threat that people hold over your head at Ally. And I think that's why we have such a tremendous culture. We have a boss that plays the long game. Our CEO is incredible. He's a kind of a keep to himself kind of guy. He doesn't try and promote his own personal brand like a lot of other CEOs. And so he's a, to me, he's more under the radar than, than he should be. He is definitely a long game kind of a, a CEO. And you pick up on that mojo. And it allows you to lead from the front as opposed to being on your heels all the time. And so my belief has always been, I'm going to lead from the front. And if at some point somebody doesn't like it and they want to move me on, I feel fairly employable. And I just don't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't let that hang over my head. Wow. No, I think it changes your vibe and it changes the vibe to the team. And it, my hallmark is bravery. Mm. Everything I do is brave. Love that. And I think my team feels that and everything they do is brave. And yeah, there's times where we've done things where I'm like, this is really pushing the envelope, especially for financial services, or this may be pushing people out of their comfort zone. But I don't take irresponsible risks. I just take brave bets. It's worked. I love it. I mean, I want to go into so much there. I want to know about more. Does he go by Jeff or Jeffrey? JB. She goes by JB. That's what I go by. I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to go. I want to just circle back to that again. I mean, because he is an executive that I know, like for me, I interview executives all the time. I get to talk to Fortune 100, 500, 1000, and I love it. I absolutely love it. He's an executive that I've heard about, know about, but to your point, I don't see a lot about him in the in the public eye as much as other executives. And that interests me as well. I'm just curious about the relationship you have with JB, what is cultivated there and what he's meant for you. You've said there's some things you've learned from him. And I'd love to just highlight that a bit. Like, what's that relationship like? How do you like, is it a kind of I've got your back, I protect and support you? What has he meant for you being the CEO and you being the CMO and head of communications? 
I think I owe him a huge debt of gratitude and loyalty. He made me CMO when he became CEO. There was no CMO when JB took over as CEO. Marketing was within the businesses and I was the CMO on the auto team. And there was a woman that was running deposits marketing and JB came in as CEO and said, I want to have, I want to connect the dots. I want people to understand what Ally is. We want to diversify the company. I want to add new businesses, new operations, and marketing is going to be central to that. It's going to be a catalyst for growth. And so he tapped me to take the CMO role. He has always, always, always had my back. He has done so much for me, both professionally and personally. I consider him more than a boss. I think about him as a good friend. He's an important part of my life. You know, my loyalty to him is is insane. It's off the charts. Um, you know, I'm Team JB all the time. He look, doesn't mean we don't have our disagreements and there's not times where I don't piss him off um, and he lets me know it. But the thing that I like about him is you always know where you stand. You know, he's going to pick up the phone and say, why the hell did you do that? Or I didn't like the way that you thought about that. But he also lets me really fly. I think that the thing about him that I love is when I say to him, you know, thank you for letting me do this or thank you for that. He's like, you don't have to thank me. You earned it. You have my trust. And you, you earned that. And I think that just speaks to the kind of culture he's built at Ally. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, that gives me a little bitty glimpse into what could exist with the ELT there. I mean, it seems like there is a vibe, like you say. I mean, there's a trust and rapport. And in my opinion, like you have to be able to reach across the aisle and build trust with someone else. And, you ha- and especially today and as a CMO, I mean, you're looking into IT, finance, operations, like your role fits into the whole business. So I love that it seems like there's, a, there's a, a real squad there, you know, in terms of the executive leadership team, which is beautiful. If you could describe the ELT, like what is the culture of the ELT at Ally? I think, again, it's one of those things that as a CMO, I, I count in my blessings category. Super tight with the business leaders, Doug Timmerman, who runs auto and Di Murray, who runs all the consumer businesses. Um, there is a real partnership there. Love our CFO, Jen LeClaire. I think a lot of people love to joke about the relationships between CFOs and CMOs. There's none of that. She gets it. She gets marketing. She loves to invest in it. And I bring her to a lot of, a lot of, I had her last week come to our agency and spend a couple of hours at our agency and just really gave her a, you know, kind of a deep dive into all the things that we're doing, not because she asked, but because I want her to understand how important the increased investment in marketing is to us and what we're doing with it and, and how deeply we're trying to care for our shareholders investment. And, and then our CIO, Satish, is incredible, a brilliant visionary, love him, one of my closest friends inside the office, outside the office. And he and I, you know, he created an entire innovation lab within technology to simply work on our crazy ideas, our, our bets, our moonshots. And it's been a great retention tool for him, but I think it's also been a great validation that a lot of the things we're working on from a marketing perspective are critically important. And then our CHRO, another important aspect, you know, Kathy Patterson, she's the most human-centric HR person I've ever worked with in my entire life. And she enables our do-it-right culture and our do-it-right promise. And, and I'll tell you, when we rolled Do It Right out eight years ago, when I took this job, Kathy and I went on the road and went to literally every single office and jointly 
presented Do It Right and jointly presented an entire new evaluation framework by which everyone would be compensated based on how they did things the right way. And that's why it's not just a tagline. It's like the heart that runs through the entirety of Ally. It's how we're measured. And you can only get that when you have a CHRO that is attached to the hip with you and believes in the power of what you're trying to do. Wow. I love that. I mean, you said two things that are really interesting. One, you brought your CFO along with you into a creative like think tank, which I don't know how often that happens in the Fortune 1000, how often a CMO says, hey, CFO, I want you to come with me and like dig in with some of these creatives. And I want you to see what we're investing. I mean, that's brilliant to have them be a part of that process, contribute to it and see where the brand is going versus, hey, here's a cost center and we need all that. You know, that's absolutely brilliant. And I hope others do that. And I love just this, the tight partnership between you and Kathy of just this commitment you had around the Do It Right campaign, which I want to talk about that. I think that launched in 2016. Tell us about the genesis of this campaign. It obviously had a lot of meaning and still does, but tell us about that Do It Right campaign. Yeah. So um, I mentioned when JB, kind of the first assignment he gave me was connect the dots for people. Get get us to one campaign. We were going to market in a bifurcated manner. We had one campaign for the consumer business we had another campaign for auto. And at that time, we were getting ready to launch invest mortgage and, you know, now like lending and credit card and a whole full suite of digital financial services products. So we needed to get to one campaign. We had three brand pillars, talk straight, do right and be obviously better. We felt like we were evolving. You know, one of the first things that I wanted to do when I took my role was let's evolve those pillars. And so we evolved them because we were in a different place as a company to do right. So that continued to be one. Tirelessly innovate became the second brand pillar. And then this notion of obsessing over the customer. And we realized that do it right was the one that was persistent. And it, it was the golden rule. Do unto others as you want done to yourself. My thought was, if that actually became our tagline, if that became our promise in the world, what a bar that would be for everybody within Ally to have to uphold all the time. Whether you're in the call center and you're interacting with a customer or whether you're in the field and you're going out and you're calling on a dealer or whether you're in HR and you're thinking about recruiting or whether you're a product person and you're innovating in our innovation lab, which is a kind of an off-property studio we have called TM Studios, where we do rapid prototype innovating to, to bring products to market quickly. It drives a certain mentality. That was the genesis of the campaign. We felt like we needed to continue to make a promise in a category like financial services that historically didn't really care about the services part, didn't really care about putting the customer at the center of everything we did. And if you just say, we're going to do it right, just a completely different promise for a customer with their most important asset, their money, than any other tagline we could, you know, put behind Ally. Wow. And I can see why still since 2016, that's still like such a huge, I mean, it just, it makes so much sense. It still resonates. It always will. That's not just a one-time campaign. I feel like it really speaks to the voice of the brand and continues to do so, which is pretty cool. Let's talk about the rebrand. And I know that that must have been an interesting time because you get, you know, you're, you're joining GMAC, which became Ally. And, you know, a rebrand is not an easy feat. And depending on the resources and support, and a lot of people get called in for rebrands and they're not, they're not there shortly thereafter, too. So it's a big 
big deal. I want to just kind of understand what was in your brain at the time. How did you approach the rebrand? Kind of walk us through the success of that because clearly it was. Yeah, so it was a crazy time, right? It was the it was the crash of all markets. We were in the worst financial crisis. We had just been spun out of General Motors. We were owned by Cerberus. We had taken a pretty massive TARP loan, and there was an incredible amount of pressure to get to market quickly. Internally, there was a what I would call a clash of cultures. You had the legacy GMAC people. You had a lot of people that were brought in from the outside that came from banking. And then you had me, this one loan agency wolf. <laughs> and, you know, the assignment was, okay, go go rebrand and, and help bring this new company to market. So we had no agency. We had to do a complete agency search. That was a big part. We had to hire a branding agency, which, which was also a big part of it. But I think more importantly, we had to figure out what the culture was going to be and what we wanted this brand to be. And so the first thing that I did was go on a listening tour and I met with the top 25 executives in the company. And I got a different answer from all 25 people about where they wanted the company to go. In fact, one person who was a legacy GMAC person said to me, I'm not interested in a rebrand. And I, it's one of those moments like you'll never forget. I was taking notes on my computer and she reached across the desk and she slammed my computer shut and said, I'm not interested in a rebrand. So, you know, it was it was a crazy time, but we probably looked at 200 names. We wanted something that meant something literally as well as kind of figuratively. And we really were in tune with the mood of the consumer at the time. People were scared. They hated banking. They hated it. They were terrified. People were t- literally taking their money out of banks and putting it in their mattresses um, because they felt like it was the only safe place. And then GMAC had this wonderful legacy of always doing right by dealers and being an ally to dealers and this amazing legacy of service. And so when we saw Ally, it just made a lot of sense. It was like, aha, that's that's the name. That's the right name for the right time. It's so different for this category. And then the other aspect that was critically important was the color. We took all banks advertising, we put it up on a wall and we stood back and we said, Every bank is either red, white, or blue, or some combination thereof. So we got to do something that's different because we're launching a digital financial services company. And so we've got to break through the clutter. And so Plum really became a choice for us. We thought it was a rich color. We thought it was culturally contemporary and relevant and would break through. And so it was incredible. I I was a little naive, to be honest with you, Jeremy. I thought, you know, like a rebrand was pick a name, print some business cards, print some new letterhead, and off you go. The intricacies of a rebrand from copywriting and trademarking and changing websites and getting trademarks all over the world and all of the things that went into the deployment were just incredible. One of the best learning experiences I've ever had in my entire life. What was the moment where you? kind of had the confirmation like, we did this right. What was that moment where you were like, okay, we turned the ship towards this direction that we're going to head down? I think the moment we all realized it was right was that when we launched and um, we were doing things so differently in the category, um, very high rates, transparency in our communications, you know, really kind of taking on the big banks at the time and trying to, you know, through our first campaign, which was the kids campaign, which really went directly at some of the behavior in the in the banking category, 
And I think when we realized we were on the right path was when we saw the ire that it was drawing from a lot of the big banks and a lot of the CEOs kind of like talking about this isn't right. You can't have these kind of rates. You, sh- you can't remove fees. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we were like, we just struck a nerve in a category that has largely been unchanged since Alexander Hamilton invented it. And now today you fast forward and I think we like to, we feel good about the change that's happened in the category in general. I think during COVID, the financial services category behaved in an exemplary manner. And that's very different than it was, you know, back in 08, where now every bank realizes how important customer centricity and customer service is. And all banks are behaving in very honorable ways. I think that's been something we've been proud of because we feel like we forced a lot of that change. Do you think the angle today is still kind of ally versus the big bank? Is that still the voice today of like, it's still kind of us versus these big banks and how they do things? Or has that shifted over the years? It's definitely shifted. Look, I think you've got to be smart about shifting moods of the country, shifting moods of the consumer. I'd say we went hard at the category for a long time. And I think when we when, you know, we went through a pandemic, we've gone through social injustice, we've gone through political chaos. I just don't think punching other banks in the in the nose is the right thing for us to be doing. And I also, like I said, think that the category is behaving in wonderful ways. I think, you know, big announcement the Bank of America just made about what they're going to do in the mortgage category is a beautiful thing. I think JP Morgan has done amazing things. You look across the category, city, and some of the things that they've done in terms of taking stances on social issues. So you've got to give a ton of credit to the category. And I just don't think people are in the mood to see other companies fighting with each other. And so our focus from a communication standpoint has really shifted to be about empowering people around the joy of money and less about the category and more about owning your own financial journey. Mm, I love that. Shifting a little bit to kind of diversity and how, how marketing can elevate diversity in the workplace. I know that if anyone takes five minutes, you can Google how many awards Ally has won. There's a lot of diversity awards in recent years. What's your approach to marketing to reach a diverse crowd today? Well, look, first, I think the, the big thing that we've realized is multicultural marketing can't just sit in a silo over here and like just do its thing and not cut across. It, it can't just be this vertical that sits alone. It also has to, it has to cut across literally everything that we do, right? So culture is diverse, period. That's what this country is. And cultural relevance is the key to any great brand right now. And so our approach is the same as it is anywhere else. Do authentic things that really help the audience. So I'll give you a great example. This will be our fourth year of a program that I'm super proud of called Moguls in the Making. It's something that I'm incredibly proud of. It started um, about five years ago, just a conversation with, with Sean Anderson, Big Sean and myself. He's a Detroit native. I've gotten to know him pretty well. And we just talked about what could we do to change the world? And we came up with this idea of moguls in the making. Let's create the next generation of moguls. So we partner with a Thurgood Marshall College Fund, and we bring in 50 to 60 HBCU students that come into Ally headquarters. We rotate between Detroit and Charlotte, and we give them a weekend of mentoring and learning, but they get a societal problem that they have to solve through technology. And then they go through a Shark Tank-like presentation on Sunday. 
And the winning team actually gets $20,000 in scholarship money and a bunch of prizes and a guaranteed internship at Ally. And then the second and third place teams also get Ally internships as well. And then all of the students are invited to interview for internships. And what's amazing is that not only has it become this incredible program in terms of changing the trajectory of many of these students' lives, but it's created this awesome pipeline of diversity into Ally. In fact, I have four people on my team that are out of the Moguls program. And one of the teams actually created Fintropolis, which is our world that we built within Minecraft, which is financial literacy for middle school aged kids. And we have three and a half million downloads of Fintropolis since we launched. And that came from the Moguls. So it got real impact. And that's been the approach to diversity. You know, we just got back from doing a, an amazing event at New York Fashion Week with the guys from Earn Your Leisure, teaching financial literacy to entrepreneurs. I mean, doing authentic things has been the approach as, to, as opposed to slapping our logo on stuff that doesn't matter. Hmm. I love that. I, I recently interviewed um, Emeka Ofidile, who is the head of, head of sports marketing at ESPN. And he's been there 22 years. And, and something I, I, I could tell right away as we started to talk was how incredibly diverse ESPN as an organization is. You look at the success of this brand. I mean, it's monumental and global in nature. But I tie that directly to the diversity in their team, on their team. I mean, you look at their leaders and their team all the way down. It's incredibly diverse. I mean, there's people from all over, from everywhere you can imagine. And I, I see a tight line there. And it's clear to me that Ally takes that to heart as well. And the more diverse I see a business is, the more successful they seem to be too, just bottom line, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the, when JB came in, he, he kind of, as a CEO eight years ago, he outlined you know, kind of 10 strategic pillars. And one of the, I think, top three, I think it was return, you know, value to shareholders. Second was around tap into the power of the brand. And third was around diversity and inclusion. And this was, you know, eight years ago. And we created eight different employee resource groups. We've got more than 50% of our company is in one of those employee resource groups. Everybody on our executive leadership team chairs one of those groups. I chair the LGBTQ, our pride allies, which is deeply personal to me. My youngest son is LGBTQ, and it was something I wanted to do so I could be a better mom to him. You know, I think it's central to how we think. Look, not a lot of companies would do something like the equity pledge that we just made to spend equally between men's and women's sports. And those are the kinds of things that you can do when you work at a company that actually believes in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just talks about it. Mm, it's amazing. It's real thing. It is. I got chills when you were talking about just your involvement, your family. I mean, it's just, uh, it's amazing. Ally helped get the National Women's Soccer League on primetime television recently for the first time. How does it feel to be the company that elevates women's sports so adamantly? It's one of the things that I am absolutely the most proud of in my entire career, especially as a former player. To jump in and be able to work with NWSL and CBS and get the prime timeification of women's sports, you realize this, is the, this will be the first women's championship that's ever been played in prime time. That's insane to be able to have helped facilitate that. Um, there's really no words around it. And you know, our 50-50 pledge, our whole campaign around watch the game, change the game, like to see that we're, we're doing real things. We're not just saying it, we're doing real things. And 
it's awesome to see other brands coming along on the journey and, and their increased investment in women's sports. And it's all in service of breaking this vicious circle that exists around not getting prime time for women's sports, leagues being undervalued, players being underpaid. Somebody's got to blink in that equation and bring money off the sidelines. And we said, all right, we'll blink. We'll be the one to bring the money in and we'll take some bets. And we have, and they've all paid off. Women's sports always gives us outsized returns and um, it just makes good business sense. Do you approach marketing like the sporting events Ally supports differently from marketing other types of events? A little bit. I mean, look, I think everything is about contextual relevance. So if we're at Fashion Week, we definitely think about that differently than we think about how we're going to activate a NASCAR race. But there is this overriding umbrella, which is make everything better than we found it. And that's what we try and bring to all of our activations. So if we go to Fashion Week, how can we make Fashion Week better than it's been in its history? If we go to a NASCAR activation, how can we make it better? You know, those are the things that um, this idea of being an ally to the fans, that really is um, ingrained in everything that we do. Mm, Okay. So I'd like to just hear final thoughts um, for two groups of people. For one group of people, that is the, the CMO, that is your peers uh, across the Fortune 1000 and beyond. What would you want to share with folks? Because we have a lot of CMOs that will listen to this show. What would you want to share with your peers just about the role, about what you see coming down the pipeline as a marketing leader? Just what would you, have, what would you say that to a room full of CMOs? Well, I think that I would say, um, look, this is probably the most complex business environment that we've ever faced as CMOs. Not only do you have macroeconomic environment that is all over the place, you have massive political divide in this country. You continue to have massive societal issues that impact a lot of brands. You have expectations of consumers that are greater than ever before for brands to take societal or political stances. I mean, it's choppy and it's hard and it's not for the faint of heart. I think being super educated, reading, listening, this is the best time to be very connected to your executive leadership team, to your CEO, to really having a pulse on what your customer base is thinking, and to really navigate your brand in the best way that you possibly can. People need you to step up and lead the brand through these times, and it's not going to change. This is not just like a point in time. This is the new norm. And so I think it really takes a massive mindset change for CMOs relative to the importance of that and the importance of being really connected. I think a lot of the CMOs that don't last, they don't last because they're not connected to the broader executive leadership team. And that's critical. doesn't mean you have to pander and do everything that the executive leadership team wants. At the end of the day, you still have to make the decisions about the brand. But be connected in, be brave, and uh, be really, really smart right now. Mm, I love that answer. Okay, all the CMOs quickly exit. In comes the new crowd. (laughs) These are the young marketing leaders. These are folks that are coming up in the ranks. They see you, they're inspired by you. They're not a CMO yet, but that's where they wanna be. What would you share to them? Um, Have a voice. I hate when we bring young people in and they sit in meetings and they don't say a word. Like you're here for a reason, have a voice. We want to hear from you. You are the target for probably every single brand that you're working on. So have a voice, use it, show up. You know, one of the things that we're struggling with is getting people to come back to the office. There's so much power in being in the office and being able to have those 
spur of the moment conversations and soaking it up from the older, wiser people that have been around. Um, so show up and, and come in and experience the culture and experience the camaraderie of being with your teammates. And then I would say, lastly, be a sponge, be a student of marketing, you know, watch the damn commercials, don't skip through them. <laughs> Look at everything, you know, get the ad services on streaming that actually serve you the ads and just see what everybody else is doing. Be a sponge. I, I'm always shocked sometimes as how many people come in that just they don't love marketing and they don't love communications and they're not students of it. And it shows. And so you've got to love your craft and to love your craft. You have to consume it. And it's critically important to be a sponge. Mm, I love both of those answers. Before I give you a round of applause, one last question. I want to ask you this and then we can wrap. Your title is Chief Marketing and PR Officer for Ally. I'm seeing this more and more where the, the, like the CMO role is like integrating into comms, where they're now responsible for all of comms as well, not just marketing. And I don't know if that was an intentional decision made by Ali several years back. Is that new? But what's it like kind of overseeing both of those lanes? Because I'm not seeing it like across the board, Fortune 500, but I am seeing it more and more. And just curious about the intentionality behind you being responsible for both of those two things and what magic that can create. Super intentional. I took over responsibility for PR, I guess it was about four years ago. There was a chief communications officer, chief marketing officer, chief communications officer went someplace else. And JB and I had a good conversation about how inextricably linked PR is with marketing. Consumers don't know the difference. And somebody has to really oversee all of it. And within PR, we also have all of our social listening and monitoring and responding, frontline of defense, and also frontline of productivity. It has been one of the best moves that I think we've made. And in times, especially like the last couple of years between the pandemic and social injustice and all of those things, having line of sight and control over all of that was invaluable. Mm, okay. I love it. Andrea Brimmer, Chief Marketing and PR Officer at Ally. Thank you so much for being here. This was an exceptional start to my day. And we appreciate you being a part of Marketing Trends. Yeah, it's my joy to be here. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you for all the kind words. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. 
from Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.